Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Hey, technology uh, has finally allowed us to continue doing this um, from afar as I am out of the country for the next three months. Rich back in good old snowy Oklahoma. I'm down in the tropics, man. I, I know you guys are cold, but it's uh, it's been sunny and warm right here where I am. And it's funny that that you mentioned that because – I'm taking a little getaway myself, um, more of a vacation than what you're <laughs> you're currently doing. But I will be in the tropics here in a here in a. Actually, I'm leaving tomorrow, so it's not that far away. Sweet action! All right, well, let's jump into this. Oklahoma uh, losers in the Orange Bowl to Alabama. Something that we, I mean, truth is, you, you saw it coming. You, you wanted it as an Oklahoma fan. You wanted it to be differently, but the reality is, you saw it coming. But, you know, at some point, and it may it may not be until we die and get to heaven and try to figure it all out. I, I, I got to know what happened in that first quarter, because if you dissect that game, everything everything leads back to that first quarter when when Alabama just jumped out on Oklahoma and the Sooners were able to dig themselves out of the hole a little bit. But the hole is just too deep from the first 15 minutes of play. It was just a, a weird night, a weird game. You got to give them credit for the way they hung in there because I, I even put out on Twitter they they could have easily just folded up and and let Alabama beat them seventy to ten or uh, something along those lines. But they they fought made I mean they were able to come back at least make Alabama and Alabama fans nervous. Also proving Kyler Murray one of the best players in the country, deserving of the Heisman. And this myth of the SEC defenses, Big Twelve offenses, we might get into that for just a minute. But Rich, when you think back about this Orange Bowl matchup against Alabama, to me, it's that first quarter that just kind of that that's where the game was lost. I completely agree with you, and I'm not surprised by the Alabama quick start. It's really been their MO for the duration of the season. They've gotten out to a sizable lead, and the defense has just shut teams out and kind of let the offense go into cruise control where they've had the ability of pulling some of the big-name players there in the second half, even if that's the entirety of the second half or at least a good portion of the second half. Like I said, that's really been – Alabama's identity this year and it's because of that shift in an offensive scheme this isn't an offense that we're accustomed to seeing come out of the SEC what Texas put on the field against Georgia was more of an SEC offense than than what Alabama put on the field if you're asking me that's a matter of opinion we can argue that for days and days to come but the reality is no surprise Alabama came out extremely well, well prepared. Um, and it speaks volumes to the coaching staff that they have. 
Yeah, I mean, twenty-one nothing in the first quarter, and then they they uh, they outscore them, or they they pace them ten to ten in the second quarter, outscore them ten to three, uh, ten to nothing in the third quarter, and then that far, that fourth quarter, uh, fourteen to fourteen. But you know, I, I I don't I don't know where the SEC is right now in terms of of their identity because it's going to change. I think it's it's started. We're starting to see the evolution of this offense in the SEC. Something that you just mentioned. Something that we've touched on in previous episodes of the podcast. I mean, Alabama is is kind of the trendsetter. But when you look across the board, what the Big Twelve did in the bowl games, we have a post up uh, about it at Heartland-Sports.com on, on the website about the Big Twelve busting the so you know so-called myth of the SEC defense. And when you look at the the games, the four games against SEC schools, the Big Twelve goes three and one but in all those games even Oklahoma's losses Alabama was a team that was given up only 14 points per game going into the Orange Bowl Kyler Murray and company put up 34 on Alabama in a losing effort it wasn't Oklahoma's offense that lost them this game same thing as with Georgia last year in the Rose Bowl it wasn't the offense that lost this was this loss was on the defense and Sorry, man. I, I had a I had ESPN open on my on my uh, computer, and it just started playing some funky music. I don't know if you heard that or not, but but the point is is that um, th- this loss is more on the defense, just like the Orange Bowl or the, the the Rose Bowl last year. Oklahoma and the Big Twelve they performed admirably against the SEC, the mighty SEC defenses. And now I think the SEC is going to go back, scratch their heads a little bit, and they're going to look at everything from Oklahoma. Uh, Alabama to Vanderbilt, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Look what they did against Missouri without their starting running back. The SEC is going to go through an identity crisis, and I believe it's starting right now. I'm going to disagree with you on one quick take, and that's your comment about Oklahoma's defense and the defense letting – I don't want to say letting this team down, but being the culprit for the loss. And heading into this game, I don't think – there was a ton of confidence being placed into this defense. We have said that on numerous occasions. We had a guest come on who echoed the exact same sentiments. There wasn't a ton of confidence. There wasn't a ton of people saying this is the type of defense that can win the game for Oklahoma over Alabama. Everybody knew that it was riding on the offensive capabilities of Kyler Murray and the other skill position players like a Marquise Brown, who we said could potentially have a big impact or not an impact at all, really depending on his, his health. But when we look at the argument and this defensive um, kind of placing the um, responsibility on them for what has happened here in the Orange Bowl, like I said, I just didn't expect them to stop Alabama, and I thought they stopped them more times than what they probably probably should have heading into the game. Well, I mean, again, just, just because we don't expect them to stop them doesn't mean it's not their fault that Oklahoma lost this game. If you score 34 points, that should be enough to win a game. If you score 34 points and you lose by 11 – you look at the defense a lot more than you look at the offense. And again, the fact that no one expected Oklahoma to make defensive stops really kind of portrays how bad this defense is. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. We, we talked about before the game that Oklahoma needed 
at least two turnovers. Well, we didn't see that happen. They needed some stops. They, they got a few. But that first quarter where Alabama just scored methodically three touchdowns on Oklahoma's defense, those were kind of the knockout blows right there at the very beginning before the offense even had a chance to really kind of wake up a little bit. I, I think both sides of the ball had the deer in the headlight kind of moment. Maybe, maybe maybe the moment was a little bit bigger than they were. I think some of that speaks to leadership on the field. Baker Mayfield did not allow that to happen last year. I think the loss last year in the Rose Bowl was more on Lincoln Riley than it was on anybody else. I feel like the moment was bigger than Lincoln Riley last yeah. year. This year, I feel like the moment was bigger than the team. And when Lincoln Riley rallies them all around him down 21 nothing, you see a different attitude, a different mentality with this team. But there, there's no way I'm, I'm casting blame on anybody other than the defense for this loss. And I, I go back to – I mean, just, just go back and look. I hate to call out individuals. hate to call out specific names. But go back and look at how many times Parnell Motley was beaten, particularly on touchdowns there's your culprit and it's and just because it's been a problem all season long doesn't mean it was in my opinion doesn't mean that that's not the issue and that's not the reason why they lost in this game that's right. my take on on and your take i'm not saying that we can't point blame at the defense because we've been saying it all season long that the defense needed to step up in order for oklahoma to have a legitimate shot at winning uh, an eighth national championship but when i look at the breakdown, the play-by-play, play. Oklahoma starts the first three plays, six negative. Is that a negative? That is a negative. Yeah, negative, they, they had a yeah. six yards, and they punt the ball. The second, second drive, five plays, six yards, and they punt the ball. The next drive where they take over offensively, five plays, 24 yards, and they surrender the ball on down. So we've got three opening drives and they've amassed a grand total of 30 yards. That's not the Oklahoma offense that we're used to seeing. That's not the big plays that we know this Oklahoma offense is capable of. By not really moving the ball on any of those first three possessions, I don't think they put the pressure on Alabama to say, we, we do have to score on each possession, but we knew that that was really the weight that this Oklahoma offense was carrying. It's not a fair weight to put on them, but it was an expectation if Oklahoma was going to win this game because everyone expected a shootout. I'm not saying that we can't blame the defense, Matt, but I'm saying it's those first three drives. It's the whole first quarter where Oklahoma can't get anything going offensively, and I don't know if that was nerves. I don't know if it was jitters. I don't know if it was play calls and a lack of execution. I don't know, but – that, in my opinion, that first quarter, we're both pointing towards it, and I'm pointing more so at the offense. But, but here's the thing, Rich, is that we, we knew that there was going to have to be adjustments on both sides of the ball. You knew that going. You, you can't play any game of this magnitude without making adjustments. Alabama eventually had to make adjustments. Oklahoma had to make those adjustments early. There's just nothing that they could adjust to defensively to make it work where vice versa, they were able to adjust offensively. The one thing I, I do question, because I agree with your point, that the, the the best shot was for the offense to put pressure on Alabama to make every possession a scoring possession, which it, it pretty much was. But I'm I, I mean, again, if, if I'm Lincoln Riley and I win the coin toss, I'm telling my guys we want the offense on the field first. We want to start by putting pressure on their defense. That's the only thing I think I would have done differently coaching-wise 
but defensively they were just they they were outmanned. They were outnumbered. There there was no response defensively to what Alabama was doing with the offensive side of the ball, where the offense eventually was able to respond and give the defense credit. You know, you pitch a third quarter shutout, but you really needed a whole second half shutout to make this more of a game than than what it was. And what I'll say about this game kind of in in closing up this argument is I thought Oklahoma entering the game, not a lot of people were giving them a lot of credit. We saw even the media talking about just this Oklahoma offense versus this, this Alabama defense. And then this Oklahoma defense versus the Alabama offense. No one was really giving Oklahoma a shot to win this game. We knew that it was a, a long, it was a stretch for Oklahoma to win it, but I thought Oklahoma, for the most part, held their own, scratched the first quarter, and, and you could say that all day long. You add that first quarter in, it becomes a little bit more iffy of an argument. Um, but again, I don't see any reason that any Oklahoma fan should be disappointed in the way that the season played out for this team. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's why when you look at the contract extension for Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma is in good position with that contract extension. They're in good position with Lincoln Riley. I think he deserves every penny of that pay raise and extension, and and I think when you when you look at, in my opinion, you've got Alabama and Clemson playing in the national championship for like the 200th consecutive time. But when you look at the landscape of college football and you're trying to figure out who who's the next team up to, to try to get on that next tier of Alabama and Clemson, there are some options out there. You, you look at Ohio State and, and what they're trying to build there. Now they're going through a new coaching change with Ryan Day. I, I think you you got to look a little bit in the Pac-12, but you don't have to look really hard to find somebody. But Washington is trying to to creep up in there. But really, the, I, I think the next team uh, that's closest to reaching that level, it's not the Georgia Bulldogs. It's the Oklahoma Sooners. And I think the university sees that in Lincoln Riley. And I, I hope the fan base sees that in Lincoln Riley. And, and, and then you get that, that contract extension, which basically turns down the NFL for the next, I would guess, three to five years before we start really having to worry about the, the callings from the NFL due to this contract. What, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with what you're saying, and it's huge for Oklahoma, and it's huge not only for them as a university, but us as a fan base. Lincoln Riley has been touted as one of the best offensive minds in the game, and I think he's absolutely shown that. Now, two years in, we've played consecutive college football playoff games. We've had consecutive Heisman winners. We've had back-to-back-to-back-to-back Big 12 championships. These are things that aren't done every single day. They're, They're pretty rare in and of themselves. We can just take the Big 12 championships, for instance, because it's not, it's not every day that a team is going out and dominating the conference in such a way that Oklahoma has. And you absolutely have to point to not only the level of coaching that we're getting out of the coaches that are on the staff, but also the level of recruiting, because there's a direct correlation in the recruiting rankings. When those come out and are made official here in February, Oklahoma will most likely have a top 10 recruiting class. Uh, they're gonna have, I, I think they're going to have top five. 
it's very possible. There are some big names still out there that have yet to make a decision, whether that's a verbal commitment or even just <laughs> I, I guess that's the only one to make at this point in time. There are some big names. It can happen. I'm with you, Matt. But here's, here's where I'm going with that is Oklahoma is consistently bringing in these, these top-tier recruiting classes, and it's because guys want to be mentored by someone like a Lincoln Riley. We see Kyler Murray come in one season, not the greatest outing while he was at Texas A&M, but he's able to sit behind Baker Mayfield, steps in as the start of this season, and then takes the Heisman. Granted, he was playing from behind for a majority of the season. If you had asked anyone with, with any knowledge in that race, now players are, are seeing the product that's on the field. They're seeing the development of these skill position players, and ultimately – as much as I hate to say it, the collegiate level, is, is, it is a stepping stone. Players don't typically come because their, their primary goal is to get that degree. That primary goal at a major university is to, to move and develop into an NFL-caliber player. Oklahoma has clearly done that on the offensive side of the ball with the offensive line. We've seen that dating back to even the, the late 2000s. We've seen that taper off on the defensive side, of course they're going to need to pick that up. But Oklahoma getting a guy like Lincoln Riley to commit, I, I think it's huge for the future. And, again, it's setting them up because of these recruiting classes that they're continuously able to bring in. It's setting them up for a very, I don't want to say profitable, but profitable future. Yeah, well, I mean, it, I, I think it's it's cyclical. I, I think it, it... – college football has always been a stepping stone for coaches and players to get to the next level. Some coaches never really desire to go to that level, like, like a Bob Stoops, but every player who walks into a, a, a college football campus, whether it is division one power five in division one, or whether it's the, 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 you know, the FCS level, any level, in NAIA level, every player on a college football team thinks about the NFL so it's always been that way, but what you're seeing, it, it, you're right with, with Lincoln Riley and the boost that they're starting to get in recruiting is very similar to the boost that we saw with Bob Stoops in the early 2000s when they're landing recruits like a Tommy Harris and so forth. You're starting to see that. You're seeing it in abundance on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you're, you're seeing it in abundance on the offensive side of the ball. We need to start seeing that on the defensive side of the ball, and and there are some big names starting to, to really to come in and and even make commitments. And what I said, you know, since this early signing period started, was what Oklahoma was able to do defensively without a defensive coordinator was pretty amazing. But Lincoln Riley's next now he's got he's got the future locked up with his contract. I believe the next major thing that has to happen it's got to be a defensive coordinator and I think it's got to be pretty quick. I don't, I don't disagree with this statement about a defensive coordinator. That's going to be one of those questions that everyone who's involved at the program, everybody who surrounds the program and has put money in, whether that is a donation or whether that is through purchasing uh, tickets, what we know about you just completely distracted me with that text message. Um, what what we well, I don't even know where I was going, so I'm just going to throw this out there as a question to you. Um, oh, we were talking about the defensive quarter. What we know 
that defensive coordinator is going to be really it's, it's going to decide whether the future is, is that uptick into that upper echelon that you've been talking about with the Alabamas and the Clemsons and those who are consistently, before the season even begins, are consistently put into the national title picture. That's what that defensive coordinator does. I think Oklahoma is there, but they're one of those fringe teams, and, and that's the reason why that defensive coordinator hiring is such a big deal. I don't know that it happens soon. I still give it just a little bit of time. It's definitely going to happen before the end of the month because there are a handful of those big recruits still out there who have yet to make a decision or could potentially be swayed by a hire into flipping from their current commitment to committing to the University of Oklahoma. But what I wanted to ask you, Matt, was, was this simple question. When it comes to Lincoln Riley and him signing, well, in theory, and it's not an official signature yet, but agreeing in theory to the terms on the sheet of paper for this contract extension, is Lincoln Riley a guy that you could see following in the footsteps of a Bob Stoops and spending the duration of his career as the head coach in Norman. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what, what you see from Lincoln Riley is very similar to young Bob Stoops is that Bob Stoops after the 2000 season, anytime an NFL opening was there, he was rumored to have it. And the verbiage and the things that he said were very similar to what you're hearing from Lincoln Riley. You know, Lincoln Riley said before the Orange Bowl, I can't tell you what I want to do 10 years from now, but what I can tell you right now, this is where I want to be. This is my team. This is what I want to do. This is where my family wants to live. And I think that the longer you keep a guy in position like that, you know, Bob Stoops ended up being 16 years. And so the longer you keep a guy in position like that, the becomes entrenched in who he is and his identity is that university. So I, I, I think I, I can see Lincoln Riley being more like a Bob Stoops than like a Nick Saban who had success at LSU, uh, success at Michigan State, success at LSU, went to the NFL, just completely failed, and then came back to Alabama. That's the thing a lot of these college coaches keep in mind is that Success in the in, in the collegiate ranks doesn't always mean success in the professional level, and there's there's a lot of options, a lot of um, examples out there of guys who fell on their face in the NFL and now are coming back, you know, and trying to rebuild themselves in the collegiate level. And a lot of people forget that Nick Saban is one of those guys, and that's that sticks in the minds of people when they start thinking about their next career move. The other thing is there's Lincoln Riley's making a lot of money at the University of Oklahoma, and he's going to continue yeah. to make a lot of money at the University of Oklahoma. And really, if you're not into the 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 challenge of the NFL, if, if that's just not what drives you, you like the challenge of the collegiate ranks more because you've got that recruiting aspect and so forth. The money's pretty much equal now on this collegiate level for guys like Lincoln Riley. And here's the one thing that a lot of people don't don't really understand or or just they overlook this aspect of it most guys who go from college to the nfl hate recruiting they hate every aspect of recruiting and when they get to the nfl they don't have to do that they have a general manager who recruits free agents they have people who help evaluate for draft you draft who you want you don't have to beg him to come 
Lincoln Riley loves recruiting. He loves what he does. He loves it when he lands the recruit. Not only that, he's got a staff full of guys who love recruiting. That's an aspect of the game that I believe guys like Lincoln Riley would miss once they get to the professional level. Yeah, and I love that you bring up that point because we could resurface the video of Lincoln Riley celebrating when they got a commitment out of a four-star, kind of a surprise defensive back, I believe it was. Um, and just the, the celebration that was going on, not only with Lincoln Riley, but the others who were there in the room with him. It showed how big of a deal that was to them. But it's also the payoff. It's all that effort, all that traveling. And I can't blame these guys for celebrating, but you do make a good point with Lincoln Riley enjoying the challenge that is recruiting. For me, man, when I look at it, I don't think everybody wants to go to the NFL. And, and I was going to bring up the pay scale because we are at that point where we're seeing competitive pay scales in the collegiate ranks. It's a hard thing to turn down and to just go into the unknown when you've got that guaranteed a reputation in something that you know. I don't know that Lincoln Riley is a forever college guy. His name continues to come up in NFL circles. It will continue to come up. Bob Stoops has now retired, and his name has continued to come up right. as well. So I highly doubt that it's going to stop for a guy like Lincoln Riley, who is really entering the prime of his coaching career. Yeah, I don't even know that he's in his prime, Rich, truthfully. I mean, he's so young. That's what I'm saying. I don't know he's that entering he had, it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, but I don't know that he is, is what I'm saying. I think he's still on the bottom side of his prime. Again, <laughs> I think he's, we saw I think we saw a large, um, a giant leap from last year's Lincoln Riley to this season's Lincoln Riley, going all the way back to when you compare the national championship games. You, you had Baker Mayfield in the Rose Bowl really was the steady for that team. This year, Lincoln Riley was the steady for the team. That's the growth that we've seen in the coach. But, yeah, there, I, I, I think we're on the same page with this, and I agree 100% on, on what's going on with this universe. And, and I, anybody, a, anybody who doesn't agree with this contract extension is probably a Texas fan or they, this is a danger. This is something that Oklahoma <laughs> fans need. Well, no, what I'm about to say next is, is real. What Oklahoma fans need to brace themselves now is the complacency of winning – Big 12 championships, not understanding how hard it is to win a Big 12 championship, but begin to take, you know, four in a row, potentially five in a row next year. At some point, Oklahoma fans are going to start taking those for granted. And and that's that's where people let's not forget, as good as Bob Stoops was there, there began to be people around 2005 who started calling for Bob Stoops to be fired because of they just winning Big 12 championships just wasn't enough for them. That's going to happen with Lincoln Riley over the next couple of years, and Oklahoma fans need to be prepared for that and be mentally alert of how difficult it is to win a Big 12 championship. I mean, truthfully, this is a dig, but it, but it's true. Ask Texas how hard it is to win a Big 12 championship. Ask Oklahoma State. Ask any other team in the Big 12 how hard it is to win this conference championship. I mean, we, you just saw Dana Holgerson leave West Virginia and go to Houston. Why? Because the Big 12's the Big 12's tough. You got to be solid in recruiting, and you got to put a solid product on the on the on the field. 
a lot easier to do to do the things that Dana Holgerson is going to get contract bonuses for at the University of Houston than it is at West Virginia. So that that's that's my take I, on the whole thing. You're good, man. I was saying that that's like a perfect segue because one of the things that I definitely wanted to jump into was looking at the the future of this team. We've looked at the future of Lincoln Riley. We know that he is a staple here at the University of Oklahoma, and we. We've kind of talked about some of the skill position players, the recruiting effort. We really haven't talked about the offensive line. Can, can we go ahead and jump into what this team's going to look like with, number one, you've got Cody Ford leaving early. You're losing, right. I believe, is it two seniors along the offensive line? And yeah, you've yeah. And you got yeah. one more who is, who is still making a decision? Yeah, and it seems like um, it's from what I'm hearing, it looks like Bobby Evans is leaning towards staying uh, for one more year, which would be huge for this offensive line to have a guy like Bobby Evans around for one more season. Um, but that's the, the way I'm I'm hearing things is that, you know, obviously you have Creed Humphrey in the middle. He's only a freshman, so he's got to be back. But listen, Oklahoma fans, he's only going to be back for two more seasons. That that dude's ready to go. He would get drafted right now. <laughs> it, it could be one more because he's a rusher. Well, well, you think think about that play, uh, Kyler Murray's final touchdown, where his helmet comes off. Ninety percent of football players, when their helmet comes off, they're going to stop playing. Creed Humphrey, when his helmet came off, he just kept driving his dude. Um, that's that is that nasty mentality that NFL coaches love. I'm saying Creed Humphrey, yeah, he's not here for long, but he is going to be back next season because he has no choice. But I think Bobby Evans is leaning towards coming back, which is good because you've got guys like Bray Walker who were just kind of waiting in the wings on this offensive line. Now you've got a Juco kid that that's coming in here with this 2019 recruiting class. That's that could be if everything pans out, you know, it, it could be a, a plug and play type situation. So there, there is going to be, I think, a learning curve with this offensive line going into next season. I don't know that it's a complete rebuild because of the offensive line. You, you look at what's what, at the skill position players. Yeah, you're losing a guy like Jalen Brown, but you, but you look at what you're returning. Um, I said Jalen Brown, Marquise Brown. Uh, look at what you're returning <laughs> in Lamb and and Calcaterra. Uh, look, look at what you're you're coming. You got coming in with guys like Theo Weiss and, and Trajan Bridges, and and then there's the 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 a chance. I think a better than you know 50% chance this Hazelwood kid uh, decides to come to the University of Oklahoma. So you're Skill position guys are going to be good. You got running backs there. To me, next year hinges more on the quarterback than it does the offensive line. And, and you know that that can, that conversation from this point can go literally go a hundred different directions. That's right because I I really feel like they go hand in hand. You could have the best quarterback in the world, but if he doesn't have time to throw or make a decision, it doesn't mean a whole lot. That athleticism doesn't really mean a whole lot. It doesn't add up to points. It doesn't add up to production on the field. So without that offensive line, I always figured that to be the, the key building block. And as I was looking at the roster and what's leading, that's a lot of experience. But you do bring up some of these younger guys. You know, Adrian Ely was a guy that a lot of people were really excited about. He was a redshirt freshman this year. We can expect to see him potentially step in even as a sophomore. And Oklahoma's never had a problem getting big offensive linemen 
on campus. You've mentioned it. Creed Humphrey's really going to set the tone there when it comes to this offensive line, and I think everybody's going to feed off of him. We should see a little bit uh, of some gelling and some meshing taking on in the early weeks, even throughout the practices leading up into the fall. But once we get there, I don't see a, a huge, huge drop-off. I do expect a little bit of a drop-off, but as this team progresses, as that offensive line progresses, they've got the skill players to make something happen. We should definitely see, once again, this, this high-flying offense take the field. Yeah, Finley Felix was the guy I was blanking on, the, the junior college kid out of Coffeyville, Kansas, 6'5", 310, the number five offensive uh, tackle in the nation from the JUCO ranks coming to Oklahoma. He's that big body guy, like what you're talking about. And I think, you know, you get these guys in here for spring ball. Spring ball is going to be huge for the offensive line. Um, but Bray Walker, he's my guy. I'm, I'm just throwing out there right now, um, January 3rd. When we record this, look out for Bray Walker next season. He's the dude. I think the next kind of Orlando Brown, Cody Ford, just nasty guy, not named Creed Humphrey on that offensive line that that I'm calling. That's the next guy. That's the next up and comer, in my opinion, uh, on that. Well, when you look at the Orange Bowl, final performances for multiple Oklahoma Sooners who were playing their their last game as a senior. You mentioned Marquise Brown leaving for the NFL. Cody Ford's gone to the NFL. One thing that that hasn't happened yet is that Kyler Murray has not made his announcement as to what he's going to do. Is he going to continue <laughs> uh, with his baseball oh. contract and his $5 billion that he already has in his pocket, or is he going to pursue uh, the the potential riches of a lucrative NFL career? I, I don't know, Rich. I mean, look, I, I, at the end of the day, if you maybe bet on it, Kyler Murray's gone. And that's that's what I said in the, in the article I wrote today, that Oklahoma fans need to be prepared for a quarterback battle that begins this spring, goes into the summer when Spen once Spencer Rattler gets on campus, and really won't know – I don't believe we'll know the answer until about a week before the Houston game. But that said, every day that goes by without Kyler Murray making an announcement as to what he's going to do has got to spark some more hope in Oklahoma fans that those very, very slim chances maybe are growing just a little bit that they get him back on campus for one more season. And the reality of the situation for me, Matt, centers around this. It's that when we look at Kyler Murray, we know he's already taken that contract, but there's, there's a lot more to weigh than just money in this. And this is where I'm going and saying that the conversation centers around this, is that just because you sign a contract with an MLB team does not guarantee that you will ever play for That's one correct. of the major league baseball teams. It's a difficult road. There are a lot of people in the farm system, and there's a lot of people who are hoping to get one of those nine spots in, in that starting rotation. It's slim pickings. It's extremely difficult when you've got the athleticism of a guy like Kyler Murray and the potential. I mean, let's just go back really quickly because he just won the Heisman Trophy. You can't say to a guy who just won the Heisman, hey, there's really no future in football for you. It's not going to happen. And no, no one's going to convince him of that. So when I'm looking at the equation and, and weighing some of the odds or the pros and the cons, Sure, there's that nearly $5 million on the contract that Kyler Murray has signed, but he, and you wrote this in your article, 
there's a potential six times right. um, $30 million contract that could be waiting if Kyler Murray is a first-round draft pick. And I think the path that most people, and this is a natural conclusion to come to, a natural path to take, everybody wants to compare Kyler Murray to, to Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. If Kyler Murray does choose football, he can still do what Russell Wilson has done, and that is to play baseball in the summers. Just because Russell Wilson is a quarterback, and I know everybody wants to say it's, it's not a Deion Sanders situation. You can't do the baseball and football because you're playing the quarterback position. It's a completely different monster when you talk about quarterback under center to center fielder. But for Kyler Murray, like I said, he can, by all means, take that Russell Wilson pass. He can play quarterback in the NFL. Same kind of limitations that everybody wants to put on him because of his stature, but it's his athletic ability that really draws people to him anyway. And so if he chooses to go that that football route, like I said, there is still that option to play baseball here and there. Russell Wilson has done it all throughout his career even though football is the primary for him. Yeah, and I mean, his contract allows for him essentially a buyout, him to buy it out. Uh, he'll, he'll get to keep some of the money, but he has to get the majority of it back. And, and essentially, he becomes a baseball free agent, but he has the opportunity to pursue football. And, and like you were just talking about, like I wrote about, you know, the only thing that's guaranteed for Kyler Murray in baseball right now is $5 million. But... He, he produces on the football field like he did again this year, like he did if, – if he can produce on the football field next year like he did this year, he's looking at a, a 30 plus million dollar guaranteed contract. And I, I believe that at some point once you get millions and millions and millions of dollars, it doesn't really matter how much you have. You're never going to spend it all. $30 million is over oh, that threshold. There are people opinion. who would argue with you on that. Well, that's true. That's true. There's a lot of NFL players who are just dead broke now because of that. But I'm just saying, if you're smart, yeah, and, and, and and we've both been around Kyler Murray to know he's a smart kid. If you're smart and you take care of yourself, take care of your money, that's a lot of money, and it could be guaranteed if he comes back. Again, I don't think he's coming back. I think he's going to the NFL. The times I've interviewed him has been on the baseball field. and he just, He's going he, to the NFL or MLB? Sorry, sorry, MLB. The times I've interviewed him has been on the baseball field, and you just you you just see that there's something special about the game of baseball for him. I could be totally wrong on that. Truthfully, I want to be wrong about that, but I, I think he's going to the Oakland Athletics. The thing for me is when these interactions were happening with Kyler Murray and yourself, they were before winning the Heisman Trophy. I definitely think that's going to wrench into the conversation, but – Kyler Murray, after the Orange Bowl, also went on record saying the goal wasn't to come up short. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of statements that will be made that people try to read far too deep into and then begin hanging their hat on it as this, this is what he was saying or this is what he was hinting at. The reality is we can speculate all we want until an official announcement comes out. No one will know that answer except those probably in, in this – uh, circle of trust with Kyler Murray, something I'm not a part yeah. of. <laughs> well, and yeah, that that's absolutely absolutely correct. And and the thing is, with or without Kyler Murray, I think I can safely say Oklahoma will make more appearances in the college football playoff. 
So, uh, you know, just maybe, maybe not next season without him, but, but maybe the season after, or, you know, I, I think, I, I don't think the Oklahoma's run in the final four, or ultimately I think when it grows to eight, it, they're, they're not finished. Obviously when it grows to eight, I think th- the status that they're in right now would be almost an every year deal. But that said, if Kyler Murray does come back, Oklahoma's not only are they the favorites to win the Big 12 in 2019, they're a favorite to make it back into the playoff. I think without Kyler Murray, you got to start. It just makes me sick to my stomach to say that. But without Kyler Murray, you you got to start looking at that Texas is possibly the preseason favorite in the Big 12. Yeah. Listen that, to Sooner Nation. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're listening to Sooner Nation online podcast, heartlandsports.com, heartland-sports.com. Uh, he's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld, live from Panama City, Panama. Uh, Rich is live from frigid Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hey, we got to, as we close out here, we, we got to talk a little bit about basketball. Th- this Oklahoma basketball team is much better than expected and a lot of that has to do with uh with these transfer guards of which miles reynolds may be the most connected basketball player in the ncaa level i actually in the collegiate level altogether when you look at the the number of celebrities that he knows and the number of celebrities that have already attended games i mean i don't know how many college basketball players can say chance the rapper came to their game but that said Miles Reynolds, this this group of of guards, they've been a pleasant surprise, and I think they've been the catalyst to what Lon Kruger's doing with this team this season. Yeah, with it's it's not been a common thing for us with Lon Kruger to see these graduate transfers come in and have such an immediate impact. The only one that I can remember prior to the season was Romero Osby. So correct me if I'm wrong there, but. He was that plug-and-play kind of guy who really changed the right. dynamic of Oklahoma and changed or at least gave them some kind of an identity. When I look at Oklahoma, I know that their strengths under Lon Kruger have really been in putting pressure defensively on teams, but also in getting out in transition. We're seeing a team that has this current team possesses links that they've not had at, at every single position under Lon Kruger during his tenure at Oklahoma. You've got guys who who can stretch the floor, but they also have that ability to stretch the floor on the defensive side of things. Like I said, just because of their length, they're adding strength to that, and they're going to give people all kinds of headaches with that half, the half-court defense that they're able to set up this Mm -hmm. year. And again, you have to credit the, the graduate transfers because of that. Yeah, and, and what they're doing defensively, uh, to me, again, something I did not expect, when, particularly the, what they're doing around the perimeter, because three-point shooting or defending the three-point shot has kind of been something that's that's been a frustrating aspect for Oklahoma fans over the last several years. But, like, Kansas was 4 of 21 last night, 19% uh, in that yeah. game, which is which I saw – uh, I saw a stat 19% from, from three point range was the fourth worst three point percentage for the Jayhawks at home in the last 20 years. That's something that Oklahoma is doing I, on, on the season. Their opponents are only 25% from three point range. Look at the Creighton game. Creighton came in to Norman as the top three point shooting team in the nation. And they were able to put the clamps down on them. 
Saturday is a big, big game for, for Oklahoma in this Bedlam game. I saw earlier on Twitter where all the general admission tickets have been sold. It's going to be a sold-out packed house for the Sooners. Fans are finally ca- – I mean, it's, it's the day – it's just it, – it's what it is when you coach basketball at the University of Oklahoma. You're not going to be front and center until football season ends. But now the football season's over with, fans are looking at this team. They're seeing an 11-2 record. They're seeing them go toe-to-toe with Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse without a healthy Jemani McNeese. I think fans are starting to buy in. They are able to win Saturday against Oklahoma State. It's not just that they're buying in. They'll, they'll be there, I believe, the rest of the way with this squad. And I need to retract a statement officially here. You and I, Matt, were talking about this team really heading into the season um, before they, they had played quality competition. And I said, I don't, I don't know if this team is, is tournament worthy. Through the first uh, through the non-conference portion and now the first conference game of the season, uh, they, they completely convinced me, and I've done a 180 on this team because I think the way that they're playing, they may not have these star players that we see all over the country at these blue blood programs, if you will. But this team's ready to compete, and, and they're not shying away from any competitor. They're not shying away from any player who steps onto the court and and is going to oppose them. So again, kudos to this team and what Lon Kruger has done. They've made a complete believer out of me. And I think they're going to exceed a lot of people's expectations. Well, maybe except Lon Kruger's because he knew. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. But I think that's the thing that, that really makes this team special is that there's not a Trey Young. There's not a Buddy Heald. It, I mean, this is, this is the best team I believe Kruger has had at Oklahoma through this first portion of the season because what you're seeing is team ball. One night it may be Miles Reynolds who leads the team. It may be Brady Manning. I mean, I, I'm I'm very happy that Christian James has finally grown into the basketball player that many expected him to when he first came on campus. But it may not even been him every night, even though he is unequivocally, I believe, the team leader. This is a team concept, and and when you get a group to buy into a team concept, they become very, uh, very good at things like defensive rebound and and defensive perimeter, uh, perimeter, perimeter defense. Basketball terms are very hard for me, obviously. But anyway, um, th- those are my thoughts. Uh, I, I'm I'm happy where this team is, and and I think they're going to be a tough out in the Big 12. I think they'll contend. I, I I'm like you. I had low expectations uh, coming in uh, to the season. My wife, who is a big basketball fan, we we talked about it before the season started. I told her I really didn't think they'd be any good, truthfully, because like everybody else, I didn't know much about this team and, and much about the players, particularly these these transfer guards, but. They've made a believer out of me. I think they're going to make a believer out of a lot of people if they can win Bedlam on Saturday. They're going to be a tough out in the Big 12, and they're going to be a tough I, – I can see this team going undefeated um, at home this season. It, I, I don't think that's too far of a stretch. Huh. Okay. We'll have to wait and see it happen. But, you know, I'll, I'll say this and then shut my mouth. is I can't remember the last team Oklahoma actually put a team on the court – that, that wasn't undersized. You know, we've talked a lot about length and the defense, but that speaks volumes for this team, and, and I believe is part of the reason why we're seeing such early successes. You can throw Christian Doolittle out there at the three position, and he's right. 6'7". Mm-hmm. Instead of having him play the four, like traditionally Oklahoma 
has played small. So they're able, uh, physicality, the Big 12 is top-notch, but they're able to compete size-wise now with that physicality. Yeah, they've, they've got to get Jamon and McNeese healthy, though, and that's that's something that's just got to happen and happen soon for them. Honestly, um, come on. <laughs> uh, Lon Kruger did say that McNeese uh, practiced more today than he did at any point uh, in the last week or so, or actually going back to the injury. So so that's good news on the Jamon and McNeese front, but they, they need him as that guy in the middle. Um, but this team, I, I don't know what their ceiling is, Rich, but they were picked to finish bottom third in the Big 12. I think they can easily be a top four team in the conference. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm not going to argue with that one bit, especially seeing this. I, I, I'm, a, I'm fearful of using the term meteoric rise because it was such a slow rise for this right. team. In fact, nobody even wanted to put them in the top 25 at two weeks, in my opinion, after they were, were deserving of that consideration. We see the only team that had been had beaten them up until yesterday was Wisconsin, who was soaring towards the top 10. You've got Kansas, the number five team. They're going to play these teams close. They're going to continue, like I said, to just give them all kinds of headaches. And, and the Big 12 is going to be extremely competitive. I, I'm looking forward to those games, a rematch with Kansas. Let's see what Oklahoma can do against Texas Tech, some of these top-tier Big 12 teams that everyone's expecting to do well. It's going to be a fun. Uh, Big 12 is good. I'm no doubt about it. The Big 12 is good. I'm a little impressed of how bad West Virginia has been early in the season, but, uh, you know, Huggy Bear gets it going there. Uh, he's Rich. I'm Matt Heartland Sports, the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich, as we close down, uh, one of the things I like to do is look back at the week on the website and see what our top post was. Uh, crazy thought here that our our top post on uh, heartland-sports.com was actually about Oklahoma State. Mike Yurcich leaving uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys had his office cleaned out before the Cowboys even played their bowl game. We know he's going to Ohio State to become the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. I mean, I think think it kind of rings a bell for Oklahoma State fans about what they're looking at with their coaching staff where a guy who has the position of coordinator leaves to become, I mean, I hate to say it in these terms, but what it is, a glorified support staff where he's the the passing game coordinator and he's the quarterback's coach, not even really the offensive coordinator, but yet he's going to make more money at Ohio State and really have a better shot at that. I, I think he's a guy that can end up in the NFL, but uh, any thoughts on, on your such leave in Oklahoma State and, and where that leaves Mike Gundy and company? You know, I, I think that was really a, kind of a shocking move, especially considering that it's not, a, it's not a step up, if you will, because of the quote-unquote demotion in the title. When I, when I looked at that, it wasn't something that I would have expected. Wouldn't have wouldn't have been something that I would have foretold even, but it does leave Oklahoma State kind of in this precarious situation. They've been able to get these, I know Mike Gundy likes to say, and Tom Herman, Tom Herman more so than Mike Gundy, um, has talked about the quality of recruit that they've been able to get and saying that they're not these all-American guys. They're, they're not these five-star recruits that some of these other programs are getting, but what Oklahoma State has been able to do with receivers, with quarterbacks, it has been absolutely tremendous. And they've had a handful of quality running backs come through as well. So when it comes to their skill position players, they've never been lacking. That's why I see this kind of a surprise, uh, this plot twist 
if you will, for Oklahoma State. And I don't, I don't know where it leaves them. But again, expectancy, I, I never saw it coming. I guarantee you, Mike, uh, Mike Gundy's uh, burning up the Googles right now trying to find his replacement for <laughs> offensive coordinator at the University of I, – I, I see. I, sorry, uh, I almost messed that whole thing up at Oklahoma State University. Rich, I'm going to put you on the spot real fast. Two quick questions. Uh, number one, uh, who wins Bedlam on Saturday and why? Uh, that, that one's pretty simple for me, and I, I do believe that's Oklahoma. Up to this point of the season, Oklahoma has played much better – as a team, Oklahoma State's kind of struggled to find their identity. They're, they're not 100% settled on that, even at this point of the season. I know we're beginning conference play, and things are just getting tougher, but you have to point to the defensive effort. I believe Oklahoma is going to be able to kind of have their way on the defensive side of the court, which is then going to spring them into their offense. We know that this is a group that has been conditioned to run up and down the floor. We've seen, I don't know if you looked at the stats, but all the, the fast break points that Oklahoma has, uh, has put up this season. I just expect that trend to continue and then, then to sit back in their half-court defense and, and really make things extremely difficult all game long for Oklahoma State. Who's your star player in that game? Man, that, that's a really tough one, but I'm going to go with Brady Manick because he's that, that guy who's from Oklahoma, he seems to always have a good showing when something is on the line of that nature. And, and you know all of his friends are going to be watching that game, regardless of which side they're rooting for. So I'm going with Brady Manick. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got Oklahoma winning. Uh, I, I like what you said, perimeter defense and defense all in general. But I also think um, Oklahoma has a good game inside underneath the basket. Uh, rebounding will be big in this game, and uh, I think that's going to favor Oklahoma as well. And I agree. I think Brady Menick's the guy you're, where Oklahoma fans are going to look at and go, man, this kid is special, uh, or at least he had a special night. All right, here, here's the final question. I, I said two. I threw three out there because of the Brady Menick question. But uh, Kyler Murray, uh, what's he doing uh, in September? Man, I have I have not a clue. Um, in September, we'll have an answer. No, you, you got you to – I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. You got to tell me. Uh, okay. Roger, okay. If, if I had, if I had to put a one dollar wager somewhere, one dollar. You're a big I'm just going to read too much. Yeah, I know, right? Um, it's because that's how much confidence I have in either side of these statements. I'm going to put my one dollar <laughs> out there and say Kyler Murray plays football. I don't know that it's at the University wow. of Oklahoma, but he plays football. All right. Well, I'm saying uh, in September, Kyler Murray will be playing baseball. Uh, even though, I mean, Spencer Rattler says, <laughs> Lincoln Riley tells him he's not taking any more quarterbacks. There will be no transfer. Yeah, by, by the way, Matt, I wanted to address that with you. Okay. Well, you got about 30 seconds. Go with it, man. Well, because I, I know that you weren't able to watch the game, um, Georgia and Texas. I assumed you I watched it. I just had to watch real... it. I watched no, I watched it. I just watched it in Espanol. Okay. Which is always more interesting. They, they get a little more fun. Oh, it's a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh-huh. For sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yo si la voy, la voy a las. And then you could put whatever <laughs> whatever team you want in the end of that. But here, here's the thing is when I was watching that Georgia game, Justin Fields w- was suited up. Um, I know you can't say a lot about that, but I think there may have been some premature judgments no, he's about gone. what's he's gone. happening. I, I'm not I'm not sold anymore. I was there with you. I was 100% on that side of the fence 
after that game, I'm not sold on it. I'm I'm willing to make we'll right see. here we'll recorded see. history one of our one of our Matt and Rich famous bets. He will not be a Georgia Bulldog next season. Okay, let's do it. All right, you you name the restaurant and uh, and that's that's where it'll go down. Yossi Lavoy Lavoy a las Bulldogs. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's gone. Uh, I really do. I, I I think the fact that that uh, Jake Fromm struggled so much in that game and you still didn't even see Justin Fields for a snap. Uh, you know, the, the pressure was coming. It, Fields is the more mobile of the two quarterbacks. Uh, he, he can do a lot with his legs that he doesn't even get in that game for one play. He he's no way he's a Georgia Bulldog uh, beyond, beyond this semester. I, I think he's gone. I, I think he's out in, in already scouting opportunities and he will not be back in Athens, Georgia next season. I'm willing to bet our usual lunch on that. Okay. Um, and I may have an answer for you already. <laughs> Great, right? Um, we can discuss that later. But it says um, – I just Googled it really quickly, and it said he's MIA after the Sugar Bowl. Hey, I, I, I apologize, Rich. Uh, my lovely bride was speaking to me because um, she was listening to our bet. Um, what what did you just say to me? I said um, I googled I, she, it just you're now. All, she's always going to win out. Whenever you're talking to me and she's talking to me, she's always going to win out, even though it's being recorded and will be played for thousands of people to listen to. I just ignored you on a live podcast. I I apologize. Hey, I've done that to you. Maybe maybe not. I'll never <laughs> let you know. Um, <laughs> so you googled just I said I, I just did a quick Google. Them. Yeah, and the the top post that pops up says. Quarterback Justin Fields, M-I-A, after Sugar Bowl. Uh, Doesn't say he's leaving, just as his Does it say after the Sugar Bowl or at the Sugar Bowl? After, after Sugar Bowl. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I can taste the barbecue right now. Okay. We'll keep on tasting it because you're buying it. (laughs) My wife says that we have to come back on, obviously, and announce who won. I I think maybe uh, in a week or so we might be able to do that. Hey, thanks for listening. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. Heartland-sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. uh, At Sports Heartland. Leave a comment. Send us a tweet. We'd love to have your input on any of the conversation. You can leave comments on the website. You can hit us up on Twitter, and we can try to add that to the podcast the next time we record. Rich, thanks so much. Enjoy the frigid temperatures of Oklahoma while I'm kicking it here in the Caribbean. I I know you're you're, – you're traveling sometime soon, but uh, take care, my friend, yeah. and, and we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk. I guess next week it'll either be me or we might have a guest, uh, a guest um, on with me to kind of make it go better. I don't, I don't know. We'll just have to stay tuned and find out. All righty, man. Thoughts, Sounds like a plan. None, none at all, except you're going down, clown. You are going down. <laughs> all right. Hey, take care, everybody. Boomer Sooner, and I hope you've had a great new year so far. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.